Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of America's Game, episode 9. I am your host, Eric Vanek, and alongside me once again is Scott Connor. Scott, it's week one, man. Yeah, you ready for this? Yeah, I'm ready. We've put in months and months and months of research, trading, discussion on what happened last year and what that means for what's going to happen going forward. But yeah, we're right on the eve of... Uh, the start of the season, I'm I'm ready for it. It's exciting to start setting some lineups, and it's actually pretty interesting. That's going to be our main topic for this week: is just the approach of going into the season with pretty much a new slate of everything, and how how much it kind of slaps you in the face, reality-wise, on what we think we know versus you know what we know right now versus what we're going to know after a week, and you know how we're going to approach that. So, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Ready to start setting lineups. It's exciting to actually hit submit and it's a true test of kind of where your team stand. Yeah, just looking over all of my lineups so far, I've kind of just set a base lineup for the week and see just kind of where I stand and some teams I'm like, "Oh, all right, this is looking pretty good. I'm liking this." And then other teams I'm like, "Oof, you know, I'm just going to be struggling here a little bit out the gate until some of these rookies come along or somebody comes back from an injury that, you know, Jameson Williams types. So once I get those back in order, I think I'll be all right. But yeah, man, this is what we live for. This is week one, what we've all been working for, all the rookie drafts, all the waiver talk, all the training camp, you know, scouting, all that fun stuff. It all leads into to this right here. So I'm excited for it for sure, man. Yeah, let's get into uh, just, I mean, I've set probably at least half my lineups thus far in my dynasty leagues, just going through setting a preliminary lineup, looking at, you know, what, what the team looks like. Not that I didn't know what the team looks like, but I think sometimes both you and I get into a kind of a robotic process of just building teams. And then when you go to set lineups, you know, a couple things have stood out to me. And then I'll ask you the same question as what, you know, what have stood, what has stood out to you the first you know, a couple times you've gone through some of your lineups. But, you know, the first thing that stands out to me is, I mean, we've been pushing, and it's not just this year. I mean, I've talked about this in DNC for three years now on building running, building teams based around, you know, any running back with a pulse. I mean, how many times do we talk about that every episode? You know, yeah. pick up as many running backs as you can that you know are going to be on a roster, on a 53-man roster, going to be active on game days. Um, and, I think we both probably follow that to a pretty large degree on most of our teams, especially the non point per carry teams where, you know, we can sell high on, I mean, we each have our biases, I think, but we can sell high on some of these running backs that are kind of just like the dead zone running backs or the low warp running backs, you know, how can we backfill those by getting quarterback upgrades or receivers or future picks and I've noticed that on a lot of my teams that are built that way, it's actually one of the benefits that doesn't get talked about. Uh, and there was a great tweet by uh, Adam Koffler, I believe is his name. And it was just a conversation. Let me see if I can find it uh, while I'm talking. But it was a, a tweet where he posted a, a statement. And I go, you know what, that that is exactly how I would sum up the strategy of kind of taking the, the zero RB approach is it isn't so much about the 
fading the dead zone running backs as it is fading the dead zone running backs, but also not having them on your roster to where you're tempted to play them every single week, no matter what, right? Like if I told you, hey, you're going to get RB20 numbers out of this guy, but his name is big enough to where every time you see him on your roster, you go, oh, I got to start that guy because, well, he's going to get, you know, 15 touches. And, you know, two years ago, he was the RB12. So, I mean, like, I got to give him the nod in my lineup because he's a starter, right? And here was his quote. I found the tweet. Uh, It says, we need to help educate the masses talking about kind of zero RB or hero RB strategy. Why have elite backup running backs? And you can probably change elite backup running backs to any running back that could potentially see touches. Why have those guys, if you can't even get them in your lineup after an injury, because the team starter as the team starter, because you feel the need to start Zeke or Josh Jacobs every single week because you drafted them too early. And I think he's talking more redraft, but it the same goes for dynasty. If you have a team that has Josh Jacobs, Ezekiel Elliott, and let's just say Clyde Edwards Hilaire, right? Those are your three running backs on a dynasty team. You are likely to just click submit and forget on those three running backs every time they're healthy, right? because of who they are, because of where they're perceived to be valued, Mm -hmm. you are then either having to make really, really annoying start-sit decisions when you have a guy like, I don't know, James Cook emerge as a pretty good option, or you have somebody like Daryl Henderson who is going to start and get the majority of the touches in a given week. You now have to battle, do you put that backup running back, Khalil Herbert, if Montgomery were to get hurt, do you put that backup running back in over Ezekiel Elliott or over Josh Jacobs or over Clyde Edwards Hilaire over Elijah Mitchell? And the answer a lot of times is going to be no, because you're just going to start the guy with the quote unquote pedigree or the quote unquote guaranteed workload. Mm -hmm. So you actually miss out on a lot of the replacement value at running back that you don't even see. Mm -hmm. If you, you, you miss it out because you don't ever psychologically, you still have a hard time playing the quote-unquote backup running back over a guy that's a locked-in starter. Yet you really look at the warp difference, and it's minimal. The only difference is a guy like Josh Jacobs probably has his RB20 role for the entire year, whereas Khalil Herbert has his role for only a couple weeks when Montgomery might be out. But there's no difference between the two players. So you're actually hurting yourself when you carry those guys, not just because they give you a bunch of duds. If you're going to finish as RB20, you're probably going to put a lot of duds on the board throughout the year. But you're also blocking some of the better backup options or some of the pass catching options that you have on your bench. So you're, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone if you can trade a guy like Elijah Mitchell. I know he's one of your blind spots, but if you can trade Elijah Mitchell and get a first and you can add Dontrell Hilliard you have a much better shot of getting Dontrell Hilliard in your lineup when it makes sense to start it instead of just being like, Oh, I'm just going to play Elijah Mitchell every week. And I think that's the biggest thing that doesn't get talked about about this strategy. And it's the biggest thing I've noticed going through some of my teams. I'm like, Oh, I got to start Michael Carter. Oh, I got to start Naheem Hines. Okay. My teams are probably built to just spray and pray those guys in the lineup and I'm winning or losing based on, how much my quarterbacks, my wide receivers, and my tight end advantages smash. 
If those guys don't smash, it really doesn't matter what happens at my running back spots. And I think that's one thing I've noticed when setting my lineups is I'm like already week one. Oh, hey, cool. I have Melvin Gordon. Oh, hey, cool. I have Naheem Hines. Hey, cool. I have Mike Davis or Kenyon Drake. Okay. I'm throwing them in a couple lineups because it's, you know, start 12, start 13. But I would never have gotten to those guys if I would have held on to a lot of the dead zone running backs. So I think that's the major point that I've already noticed going through my teams. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. I, I've noticed that too with some of my teams, you know, where I'm, a, you know, I'm like, man, I have all these running backs and I don't know even know which ones to play sometimes. And then I also noticed, like, I know we talk about all of these uh, threshold receivers and whatnot. Like, I'm noticing in some of my lineups, like, man, I don't even have enough wide receivers. Like, how am I going to make it through the year with these guys? You know, so it's like, man, did I screw up a little bit where I'm not going to have, you know, these backup running backs that I have. Okay, well, maybe they're not playing this week because the guys in front of them stayed healthy. Plus, I don't have the wide receivers uh, because I dropped a lot of them for these running backs and I'm not going to have anybody to play. So that's kind of one of the things I've been having a little bit of trouble with, too, Um, especially for week one. I mean, you're going to everyone's mostly healthy and playing. So, you know, I'm I'm okay on the lineups for now, but I can see into the future like, oh, this could be a problem if I'm not going to have enough players to actually fill my lineup that are going to be playing that week. You know, I have a lot of these RB3, RB4 types, practice squad running backs. Or if they're not, you know, they're only getting three, four carries a week, like, I can't start that. So, you know, I'm going to have to start looking for maybe some wide receivers to kind of switch those guys out for at some point, I'm thinking. Well, and I think that that is a testament to why if you're, I mean, obviously, it's probably too late to fix a lot of them right this second. But I think that's a testament to you have to have a roster construction strategy. Like I always talk about, if you have three receivers and two flexes and you're looking at your wide receivers, you do want to have eight or nine core receivers. And they don't all have to be like young, 26 or under type dynasty, top 50, top 60 receivers. You, you can have a, you know, Jarvis Landry mixed in there and Adam Thielen mixed in there, a Jacoby Myers mixed in there. Like those types can count towards that, you know, eight or nine core guys that you have, but you always want to have at least like 50% more uh, than what you would need to start. If you started max receivers in your receiver slots and your flex spots, you still want to go out at least another like 50%. Like if it's a start three receivers with two flexes, I want to have at least eight, if not around nine or 10. And then I want to stop. You know, that's where I'm like, hey, if I got nine, I'm fine with that. I can cover potentially four injuries a week or four injuries plus bye weeks plus. I mean, I got quite a few teams that have Michael Gallup or Chris Godwin or Jamison Williams, types like that, where obviously you can't play in week one but they still count towards that nine on your dynasty roster, but you're struggling early on to set those lineups. So I think it's important to think about that. I mean, obviously going into next year, it's a totally different season, but I think the same type of strategy will, will stay next year as well. Um, But that's why you want to have more than what's your starting lineup. You never want to be weak in those flex spots where you can't play a receiver And it's actually more advantageous to be weak in those flex spots at wide receiver later on in the year, because you can start 
those backup running backs in the flexes too. If some, you know, some weeks you just end up having like four good running back options, which does happen. You know, if some of our teams, we're going to end up mid mid year, we're going to have three or four or five options, right? So you either put those guys in the flexes or you can trade those guys for, you know, seconds or thirds when you don't need them that week. But yeah, you're right. With those rosters where you have a couple injured receivers and not enough running backs yet because there hasn't been enough attrition, uh, then you're struggling to set those week one lineups. So then I, I've, I have found myself putting in a couple more tight ends in flexes, um, you know, a couple more of those just pass catching running backs that I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable starting. I've thrown more of those into opening day lineups uh, for the, the, that exact reason. But I mean, how, how do you fix that? Like, like, what do you do? Are you somebody that's going to go and chase buying a couple receivers at this point? Or do you think it's just something that maybe you underestimated how many receivers you need on a lot of teams and something you just got to fix slowly over time? I'm probably just going to go something I'm going to fix slowly over time route. I don't want to necessarily trade my draft capital or trades. You know, I, I may be able to sell a running back for a receiver, and whatnot, but I don't want to do that too many times either because of the attrition at the running back spot, like you were talking about. So that's one thing I'm going to try and do. You know, I, then the thing comes, I got to identify the wide receivers that I want to do that for. I want, you know, we always talk about it. We want the good offenses. We want the Rams. We want Tampa Bay. We want, you know, Green Bay, Kansas City, Buffalo. We want those good offenses. We want those players, um, receivers from those offenses that can go off at any single time. I'm not trying to get Byron Pringle on the Bears or Nick Westbrook Kine on the Titans. You know, these offenses that aren't very, you know, uh, impactful for fantasy or especially in the passing game. I don't want to necessarily be going out and spending third round picks on those guys. So I'm only going to be doing it for, like I said, the, the, the better offenses. So let me pose this question to you because uh, Dogtown has talked about this uh, in our DNC Patreon a lot on, you know, we don't want to necessarily spend draft picks right now to fix our opening week lineup. I think you would agree with that, right? Yeah, for sure. But would you make an exception on a couple of these teams where you clearly see that, hey, if I, I think I have a good team, but... I only have six threshold receivers and I can start up to five. So I know as soon as bye weeks get here, as soon as injuries get here, like I'm going to be a little behind the eight ball in terms of having the roster construction that allows me to dominate without needing my running backs to always be hitting week after week after week. Cause part of the strategy is you are not going to hit on every single spot start running back that you put in. Some of them are going to hit. Some of them aren't. You're going to have some games where you go, oh, this backup running back is a good start. Then the game starts and the guy just either isn't that good or doesn't get the workload that you projected. So you're going to just kind of hope to get by with some of those spot start running backs, you know, just hit like double figures or so when you put in those guys. So you really do need your quarterback advantage and or your tight end advantage, plus your power in the wide receivers to kind of carry you to the weekly wins. If you can buy, and getting back to Dogtown's point, he says if you can buy a receiver that you are almost guaranteeing yourself is going to hold his value, meaning like, okay, maybe you're not going to be able to easily sell him for a high first next year on the clock, but you can probably sell him for a first back later, even if it's a later first. 
because he's not going to be one of these receivers that's just going to plummet in value because he's too old. So think of like, uh, would you send a first for one of the Denver receivers right now, like Judy or Sutton? Or would you send a first for like somebody like, man, I, I think you could almost even go higher than Mike Williams and say Marquise Brown or DJ Moore, or someone like that to where you're pretty sure they're going to produce top 24 or better numbers, but they're also, you know, 25, 26 years old, where you're pretty confident they're going to be part of your core threshold receiver mm-hmm. group for two or three years. And it's not just a one-year shot, like, you know, paying a one-year shot for, try to think of an example that fits, a one-year shot for somebody like Allen Robinson. Yeah. Like, he's good, but... Right. Yeah. Those guys are good, but they could easily be on the wrong side of the age curve. I mean, Keenan Allen's already 30, so he's definitely there. But even Allen Robinson, like you buy him for a 23 first, he's going to be 29 and a half when this season ends. If he gets hurt or doesn't have a great season, or let's say somebody like, you know, Van Jefferson emerges for the Rams or something like that, or they trade for a receiver during the year. I mean, you never know. Oh, all of a sudden. Yeah, all of a sudden, Allen Robinson is kind of just, you know, he's just another guy. Same with, like, Brandon Cooks. Like, you never know if, like, Nico Collins is better than him this year. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, why did I give up a first for a 29, 30-year-old receiver that that's a bad investment? So I think there's a difference. But if you could buy one of these guys like Judy or Sutton or DJ Moore or Marquise Brown or, you know, a guy that's 27 or under, I you could spend your picks worse. You know, are you open to doing that in a few places? Yeah. Especially if my can confidently look at my team and look at the rest of my league and say, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty much going to be a playoff team. As long as things don't go too crazy off the rails, you know, I'm pretty solid at my quarterback positions and me and you build our teams pretty similarly where we have two, two or three solid quarterbacks to where, you know, if an injury does happen, we'll be okay there. Or we just have two elite quarterbacks who usually smash. Um, tight end, we're usually pretty pretty solid at for the most part. Uh, wide receivers, you know, we usually have you know some of the top ones as well. If I can, you know, confidently look at that and look at my playoff standing in that league and think, hey, I'm you know I'm probably going to be a, a late first. I'd probably do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a move to look at. And it feels like a little bit of an overpay. And part of what you're giving up if you do that is you're foregoing the chance to get even more with that first later. Uh, but I think if you have teams that have, you know, especially we, some of the guys I mentioned, like you mentioned Mike Williams, that would be fine. If you had Russell Wilson, I think adding another Judy or Sutton share for a first isn't horrible. If you're in the situation, like you talked about, uh, if you have Kyler adding a Hollywood Brown share for a first, uh, DJ Moore, like we mentioned, uh, obviously if you have Lamar Jackson, you could do the same thing with Bateman. I mean, there's a lot of options in that like wide receiver 15 to 35, 40 range. I mean, I know this is blasphemy, but you know, you could add Gabe Davis if you have Josh Allen, Juju if you have Mahomes, Ayuk if you have Lance. Like all of these guys, I think, are in play for a random first. And it doesn't mean you can get them in that league, but at least it's a fair offer if you send somebody a random first for one of those guys. 
especially if you have a stack and you're in the situation where you don't have enough of these threshold receivers to cover your spot. So I think it'd be, you'd probably have to go through your teams and figure out which ones it makes sense. Uh, but I think you could do worse things with your pick. You just have to realize like, Hey, if I trade my first here, I'm kind of committing a little bit earlier than I really wanted to with my draft capital, but it makes sense to do it. Cause you're not just filling your, your lineup, but you're also bringing some stack upside in there and you're, getting closer to the optimal roster construction. Right. All right. Well, next topic I wanted to bring up here is what are you doing with like these injured type players? Obviously it's, it's really hard to like go out and throw Chris Godwin into your lineup week one, especially not a lot of practice just coming off of that knee injury. I'm guessing JK Dobbins is not going to play and that's not confirmed yet or anything, but I'm guessing he probably won't play. Michael Thomas has been injured. Hasn't practiced for a couple weeks. What are you doing with those types of players? Are you confident playing them in your lineups or are you going to just wait to see the practice reports? Like if Godwin like goes, limited all week are you thinking about playing him or no yeah no i think i'm probably erring on the side of caution on i think i have godwin in one lineup thus far and i've set probably 30 lineups already and that's just one of those where you know it's start 13 starters in a 14 team league and so he's just in there by default but that's because the the backup options are you know, going to be guys where you're like, I'm not even sure what their role is going to be. So, I mean, yeah, I'm basically erring on the side of caution with anybody that I think is coming into the game with injury designation. So like another one would be Miles Sanders, Zach Ertz, like these guys would have been probably in certain lineups, but they're also in a range where it's not like they're guaranteed to smash anyway. So like they're probably my line on a guy like Miles Sanders, especially given his backfield is going to be a lot different than maybe what somebody else's is. Like I'm pretty much willing to throw in any running back that I think can get eight to 10 touches over Miles Sanders, even if he quote unquote comes out and is the starter. Uh, Same with Hertz. You know, I'm basically willing to throw in any other tight end unless there's just some sort of clarity before the game. But then that's, I mean, those guys are just like the weekly injury guys. When you get into the Godwins and the Michael Gallup's, even though Gallup is not playing this week, there's still going to be like a couple week ramp up period before I trust putting him in the lineup. So yeah, I think uh, those types and then also uh, rookies, there's a couple rookies where I'm pretty confident what their role is going to be. But Mm -hmm. a lot of the other ones, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, like even if those guys play, uh, I'm not just automatically putting them in the lineup just based on how they've been projected. Traylon Burks. Yeah, I think Chris Olave and Traylon Burks both could be heavily involved in week one, but I don't see the reason to put them in even over guys that I've seen do it before. You know, like guys, somebody like KJ Osborne or Josh Palmer, someone like that. Like I think they're in the same range as Chris Olave and Traylon Burks. Yet on your dynasty roster, you'd clearly value the, you know, the rookies from this year much higher. So I think that's kind of where you have to err on the side of caution with, you know, the rookies too. Yeah, for sure. Cause I was looking at some of my lineups this week 
you know, Alave, I think I've probably put put Alave in in pretty much all of mine, but what about, like you said, Traylon Burks? What do I do with him? Like, I'm almost sitting Traylon pretty much everywhere that I have him until I see how they're going to use him. Like, if he's the fourth receiver and he gets, like, 30% snap share, like, that's no good to me at all. So I don't want to play him. But then there's other players where I'm confident in, like Jahan Dotson. I'm pretty confident he's going to get almost 85% of the snaps. You know, uh, George Pickens, you confident on him? Yeah, Pickens, I think, will be out there. I think he probably gets 75% of the snaps or so. Am I going to just start him over, like you were talking about, Josh Palmer or KJ Osborne? I think that's a coin flip, basically. And, like, if I have a team with Trubisky on it, I'll probably put Pickens in. But otherwise, I'd probably play Palmer or Osborne in that case. Okay, so say. Deontay Johnson is active. Are you playing Pickens or Claypool? I probably would play Claypool just to be on the safe side. Okay, but that and that's a tough one where you could yeah. justify playing Claypool because I think he has more of a if he's if he plays the big slot role, he has more of a I, I want to say like a floor, but it also has he also probably has a similar ceiling just because it's the first game and we really don't know what the offense is going to look like. Mm-hmm. But then if Deontay were to go out, I think you slam Claypool and Pickens in every lineup. Right. I agree. So it's almost like that's one of those situations where you like all the weapons, but then when there's one removed, the other two are almost automatic starts. And I think it's probably the same for some other teams too. I mean, it's probably the same for like almost Minnesota too. Like you don't really, I think most people would tar- would start feeling over Osborne but I wouldn't be shocked if Osborne's just better. But if one of the other ones was out, you would just start the other one as a really confident wide receiver too, you know? So I think it's kind of the same thing. You just have to kind of see how things shake out with, you know, this player being banged up. Um, and then you decide, you know, where the pecking order is. But I think the Claypool Pickens one is an interesting one. Same with uh, Landry or Chris Olave week one. Who would you play? Probably Landry. Okay, but then if Michael Thomas, if they were saying, oh, he's not going to be full go or he might not go, you would just start Alave and Landry, right? Same as the Steelers guys? Yep, same thing. Yeah. Here's one that I've struggled with. I've actually benched him in one league. What are you doing with Brees Hall? Because he's got a tough matchup one, and it sounds like he might only get like the 40% uh, of the 60, you know, from Michael Carter gets the 60 and Brees gets the 40. Like, well, do you even start Brees Hall this week? Uh, I've had a couple Brees Hall decisions. Um, luckily, a couple of them have been on teams where it's like, okay, he's probably my best running back. So yeah, in those, yes, I'm going to play him. Uh, but I had another one where uh, I put Robert Woods in over him. And he was even a slight point per carry league. It was like 0.15 point per carry or 0.1 point per carry. So you would even favor the running back in most in most circumstances, right? Yet I go Brees Hall versus Robert Woods. I lean towards Robert Woods just because I can justify waiting and seeing with Brees. If Brees Hall gets 19 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown, then, okay, I missed out on one week. I'll just start him every single week going forward. But I don't see the point in throwing him in a lineup over somebody like Woods. Uh, And the other guy I had an option for was Elijah Moore. And it's like, am I really going to start Brees Hall over Elijah Moore in a point per carry? I still went with Elijah Moore. 
so yeah, I mean that leagues mm-hmm. like that where he's not my my clear, you know, zero RB candidate, then yeah, I'm I'm sitting him. I'll, I'd even play somebody like Naheem Hines over him. Right. Yeah. So in my one redraft league that I have, uh, I took Brees as my RB one basically, and I have uh, Tony Pollard and Damian Pierce. I'm gonna play Pollard and Pierce over him. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I think. The signaling we've gotten on Pierce is he is he's actually one of the rookies you just put in. Yeah. And if it's not what you think it is, then it's not what you think it is. But I think he's one of the rookies where it's like they've made their intentions pretty clear. Like he's going to get he's going to get the work. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to produce with the work, but he's going to get it. He's going to get, you know, a dozen or more touches in week one. It just might be you know, 11 carries for 42 yards and one catch. And you're like, okay, that guy wasn't any good, but that doesn't mean I'm just going to start Brees Hall over him because Brees Hall has more pedigree. I think you got to kind of shift from the dynasty mindset and go week one, you know, lean, lean with just the, the, the touches over everything else. So yeah, I, I don't, I'm not going to have Brees Hall in many lineups. I think I only have him in one and I'm not sure if I put him really in anymore. Okay. Yeah, that's, that was one of the ones I wanted to ask you. And with Pierce, you know, all they have is probably Burkhead and Ogunwale that they're going to be playing. I would assume just from that, those two, um, you know, what their skill sets with Burkhead and Ogunwale, they're probably going to be in on third downs most likely. And Pierce might get like a catch or two on first and second down. But after that, it's probably going to be Burkhead or Ogunwale in on third downs most likely. So, you know, Pierce could end up like with a a stat line, like you said, like 15, 16 carries and one, maybe two catches, a couple targets or something like that. It's not going to be, oh man, Pierce got five for 45 in the past game and then ran for 70 yards and a touchdown. You know, it's probably not going to be that. You know, the numbers probably say it's not going to be likely, but with, you know, with having Pierce there, I think I got to play him in that spot over, over Brees Hall for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is, goes back to the original topic that we talked about. Uh, I have quite a few teams. I believe I have four teams that have Pierce and they are basically, uh, I took him in the ranges where. It was like, take any running back possible. Once you get to like that mid second round point, I was just taking running backs in that league. And he just happens to be like my number one or number two running back on that team, because that's the way that I built it. But I also have, you know, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and I have an elite tight end. So it's like that lineup. I'm happy to just hit submit on Pierce. Like, I'm glad when I see him on the bench, even in week one, whereas a lot of other people will probably be like, uh, I'm not really sure if you want to sit or start Pierce. Again, it comes back to how you've built your team around it. It makes it actually easier to tell yourself a quick story about how you should just throw this guy in and see what happens instead of overthinking it and going, oh, do I really like, let me ask you this. Do you start uh, a guy like Damian Pierce or do you start a guy like Josh Jacobs? Uh, I would personally start Damian Pierce just because of all the talk about the Raiders, you know, getting all those other running backs involved, Amir Abdullah, Zamir White, and Sir Brandon Bolden will get in there. I would probably prefer to start Damian Pierce in that situation just because I, I like his talent way better than the other running backs there. 
Okay, would you go Josh Jacobs or, excuse me, Damian Pierce or Rashad Penny? I think I would go Rashad Penny in that case. Okay. Just, be, just because the way he looked last year, you know, it's there's no Kenneth Walker there. It's only DJ Dallas and Travis Homer behind him. Yes, Dallas and Homer will probably get a couple carries or catches here and there, but Rashad Penny should be lined up to get 15 to 20 carries there. Yeah, I'm just interested because I was looking at uh, Draft Sharks. We use Draft Sharks rankings. They have Josh Jacobs one slot ahead of Rashad Penny. And then they have Damian Pierce 10 slots below both of them. So just looking at that, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I think the point is this is the ambiguous range where between RB 18, 19, RB 16 is Javante Williams, and then RB 17 through 31 is a bunch of guys you would probably go, we all have different opinions on. Montgomery, Gibson, Zeke, Jacobs, Penny, Elijah Mitchell, Cam Akers, Edwards Hilaire, Pollard, Hunt, or Stevenson, Harris. Like all of these guys, you could kind of just pick the ones you like. You know what I mean? Tell yourself a narrative and pick the ones you like, but you really don't want to ever have to pay for any running backs in this range. So I think that's, kind of it goes back to our original point is you just don't want to get yourself in situations unless you do it like on the cheap where you are having to pick which two of these six are smashing. You know, like what I'd rather do is sell the ones in this range where I can go, oh, someone will give me a first for one of those guys. Sure. Can you get a 24 first for Zeke? Great. Cool. I'll sell them for a 24 first and then I'll go buy you know, Ramondre Stevenson for a second or Damian Harris for a second or whatever. And it's essentially the same thing. So I think that's just kind of a lesson that I've learned when I've been setting some of these early lineups is it's really, uh, it's frustrating when you got to pick between like five or six of these guys. It's like, I wonder why the hell do I have so many on my team? Mm. Another question I wanted to ask you is one thing that me and you, I've always talked about for years is, starting lineups and making the right start sit decisions. Have you looked at your process at all from the last couple of years and maybe made any modified changes to it? Or how are you going to go about, you know, doing that this year? Cause I know that's one thing we both can really improve on is our start sit decisions um, every single year. So I'm just curious if you've had any new uh, thoughts about that. Man, that's a that's a great question because honestly, I haven't really thought of how I'm going to change my process this year, but I should probably start thinking about that now. Even though it's week 1, I think week 1 you would agree, we can forgive ourselves for maybe some bad start sit calls. Yeah. As long as it wasn't based on uh I took a risk with an injury where I didn't have to or I took some sort of unnecessary risk where I probably shouldn't have. But if I just pick a situation wrong where, you know, I let's say I start Josh Jacobs over Damian Pierce, and then it just turns out the Raiders are using four running backs. Okay, that that was just the wrong pick of the situation or wrong pick of the narrative. I thought it would be one way and then it wasn't, right? But how fast do we adjust to that? I think that is where I'm going to have to change a little bit is, and we're going to probably talk about this on next week's episode, is how much are we going to take away from week one as being the new the new normal of what these players are going to be after one week? 
Because I think a lot of times in week two, we sit here and go, oh, well, this is what the usage was in week one. So that's what it's going to be the rest of the year. And then we continue on with that narrative for a month. Yet really the reality was that it was only for one week, you know, and then it starts trending in the other direction. So I think there can be some overreaction. I, I just think I have to probably not overthink it as much, truthfully. Like if we really narrowed our lineup decisions down to a science and just looked at certain things to chase, like if, if you just said, Scott, you need to set all of your lineups based on one correlation. So anytime you have some sort of positive correlation, so we're talking about like uh, a tight end stacked with a quarterback or wide receiver threes slash flexes stacked with a quarterback, or you don't start uh, maybe a quarterback and a non pass catching running back on the same team. Like if you just gave me some basic rules to start lineups with, and then you said you're going to set them based on, you're going to prioritize the order based on like, let's just say the over under of the game they're playing in. I think you could do worse than just setting a really, really rigid process like that, but that's not how you and I play. So maybe, maybe part of it is that we, we go through our lineups over and over and over 10 times a week before we actually finalize them. And how many times do you second guess yourself or you're dead set on something until Saturday. And then you talk to me and then you start, you start rethinking it again or questioning what you've been thinking all week, what your researcher, you're listening to podcasts or content all week has told you. Then you hear one person out there go, Oh, I think the opposite. And then you're like, Oh shit. Maybe I'm way too convicted that this is what's going to happen. And then you question it. Then you go, oh, I have this guy starting in nine leagues. Let me remove him in half of them. And then you get too cute. Like, I think we do that stuff instead of just saying, you know, let me go with what my original plan was or what my original thought was and just let it play out. So I don't know if that's something that we can be cognizant of, but I I, maybe I just want to be a little more loose this year with my lineups. Like, you know what? This is how I built my team especially in dynasty, not just not redraft necessarily, but dynasty, dude, mm-hmm. this is how I built my team. Why am I getting cute with it in week three? All right. And just let it play out like that. So I get that it's not a great answer, but I don't think we have enough information to me for me to say how I'm going to really fix it this year, but it definitely needs to change. I don't know how much money we've left on the table over the last couple of years. And just, you know, dude, we have the, we have the top two or three teams in this fucking league and we don't win. What went wrong? We we lose to teams that are not as good just because of, you know, X, Y, or Z. So, yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing question, I think. I think another thing, too, is that we do is we look at our opponent's lineup and we say, oh, man, he's got Josh Allen in. Do I go and play Gabe Davis in my lineup? I Maybe mean, that's not the, the greatest thing because you're probably playing Gabe every week. But we look at other the other team's lineup and say, oh, man, his quarterback is is Justin Herbert. Do I got to play Josh Palmer in my lineup? You know, have you learned from that at all? Like, is that a bad strategy that you've noticed or anything like that? In Dynasty, I honestly don't think I'm going to do that. I don't do it a lot, but I, I am very, very uh, – kind of just rigid and process oriented when it comes to dynasty lineups. So I think until we get towards the end of the season, I, I really don't think we get enough uh, of a bang for our buck to spend even five extra minutes looking at my opponent in a dynasty league. 
in a in a in a high stakes league like we do or a redraft league, I, I can see it a little bit more because there isn't really the ability to trade to fix your teams necessarily. Uh, but B, there also isn't the ability to kind of go in the other direction. If you have a team that just doesn't have it, Dynasty, you can pivot off of that and go the other way. There's still a strategy to having a losing team in a Dynasty League. In a redraft league, I, I think it does matter more if you win or lose your head-to-head game. I, I just don't think I don't think we're very good at that unless it's unless it's a correlation thing. Unless it is truly a okay, this guy that I'm playing is all in on the bills. Maybe I want to throw in Isaiah McKenzie in in my flex or in in favor of somebody else. Or for one reason or another, I want to go the other way and just fade the game entirely. You know, I think unless you can tell yourself a story like that, I I just don't really look at my dynasty matchups at all. I don't have the time and I don't think it really gives you uh, too much bang for your buck to do it. I mean, do you do that on all your dynasty teams? Do you look at your matchup before you set your lineup? Uh, yeah, I'll look at the live scoring and just kind of see who the, who my opponent has while I'm going through and setting my lineups. I'll just click the live scoring really quick and, and see if they have a lineup in, um, you know, there's some of my leagues where I have double copies. So that's where I do that. Um, I'll see, Hey, as you know, do I have any of the same copies as this player has? And maybe I want to play them that week. So that way we just kind of match. Um, that's one of the things I look for. I mean, talk about that a little more. Cause I, I think that now that is a totally different argument. That is definitely a strategy. If you are in a two copy or a three copy, I'm think I think I'm in four or five leagues that are multi copy. I know we're in a couple of them together. If you're in those leagues, I definitely think there's something to be said about if you're in a must win head to head game and it's a start eleven, I, I definitely think there's merit to looking at your opponent and seeing because I've played it both ways before, haven't you? Where it's like, oh, he has a player. I have a player. I have a better team than him. It actually makes sense for me to start as many of the same guys as he has. Yeah. So because you can't it elim- get any advantage. Of me. Correct. Correct. It eliminates some of the variance. It eliminates the number of spots where he can gain an advantage against me. Uh, if it's 11 starters and he has two of the same guys as me, and I know they're, he's, they're in his lineup, it actually makes sense for me to start those two if I think I have the advantage in most of the other spots. And then vice versa. You know, if they have a better team than you, you may be able to pivot off of one of those guys and play an alternate that's in the same tier. And you hope that the one he has in busts and the one you have kind of has a better game that you can get an advantage there. So I think there's merit to that uh, in two copy leagues, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I've done that quite a bit of my, on my team so far you know, throughout the years. So yeah, that's definitely something I always consider. I, I mean, I was just kind of thinking about it more in a, um, you know, just a single leagues or redraft leagues or, you know, even your dynasty leagues where it's not um, double copy or anything like that. Just kind of, if you're, if you're looking in the plan, you know, oh, this guy's, you know, got the Bills quarterback, the Rams quarterback, whoever, and I got a Rams player on my bench. Do I play him? But that's kind of what I was really looking at it for. I was just curious to see if you had any takeaways from that. That's all. No, I think if you play Dynasty kind of like we do, we play in a lot of leagues. Uh, we typically are building our teams a certain way. So once you've achieved that build and that roster construction, I'm kind of more on the lines of just I set my lineup for the best it can be. If my matchup is tough, so be it. If my matchup isn't tough, so be it. Uh, I'll just kind of let the the built-in advantages that I already have with correlation and stacking and roster construction 
help me push things over the edge. And then as we get further into the season, let me ask you this, how much further into the season does it, does it need to be to where you start looking at your all play record and your potential points and stuff like that to figure out like, truly, am I going to start pushing a team all in, or maybe I should start backing off. When, when do you start doing that with some of your dynasty teams and trying to like really assess like how, how they're going to go. Cause I think you have to get ahead of that before the rest of your league. Like you want to be the first to the market to sell uh, or you want to be the first to the market to buy. You don't want to wait until, you know, there's been three or four big trades and then there's nobody really left to go either way. I, I usually say I would look like around after week three is when I usually start looking at that. But I think if you want to do that this year, you want to do that earlier, even maybe even after week two um, or going into week three, sort of, because you want to get ahead on it and have give yourself the best chance to tank for B. John Robinson or tank for uh, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, whoever it's going to be. You know, you want to lock yourself into like one of those top three or four picks, I think, coming out. So if you're going to decide to quit on the quit on it that early, you know, maybe you get two or three really big injuries right off the get go and they're out for the gear. You know, that's something that you're going to have to probably consider early on, don't you think? Yeah. Do you think that there will be teams that way overreact to even just week one and their team just gets absolutely fucking smashed and they're like i they they are starting to sell off players after even one week or two weeks yeah i think so i think teams have kind of done that in the off season where they're like oh man i'm just gonna suck this year and, and just go go for the first overall pick if i can i think there's a lot of that of people that have kind of set their teams up to do that already it if you notice that, doesn't it kind of make more sense to be more aggressive in those leagues, knowing there's like five tankers already? Yeah, you can load up on some good players that way for sure. How do you go about kind of figuring that out? Like, because I know we're in a lot of leagues. I can't really pay attention to what every single person in all my leagues is doing. Do you kind of yeah, just keep a pulse yeah. on, you know, which which managers you see making trades? or Like, I, I think we both look at every trade that probably comes through from other teams. But most of the time we're just like, oh, okay. You know, I don't really study it in depth, but maybe that's something we need to kind of pay attention to more. Like, damn, man, this is a 12 team league and three of these teams are just absolutely punting for next year. That makes it a nine team league, right? Like you got a really good shot to make the playoffs. Like I want to try to now shoot to be one of the top two teams and get the buy instead of just be the number six seed. Mm. So I, do you, do you, do you track that stuff at all? Like, do you have like a spreadsheet or like a list or anything like that? Or just kind of like, when you see it, you see it. I just, when I see it, my email, I see it. And then I just delete it immediately. I don't even really look at it or don't care to be honest. <laughs> so I, when you I, see, don't, I don't have, you time. don't even look at other people's trades. No, I look and see like, okay, was that a good trade? I'm like, okay, that gives me an idea for maybe something I could try in one of my leagues. Or I look at it and go, woof, this guy just got bent over the fucking rail and just got taken. <laughs> you know, uh, either or I just kind of look at either of those trades. But I like as far as tracking them or going, oh, man, let me go look at this guy's team now that he made this trade. No, I don't do any of that. I, I don't have time for that. I'm more focused on lineups, waivers, all that kind of jazz. Interesting. So if you see a trade in a league and you just see somebody made the 
dumbest fucking trade. You don't go to their team and be like, hmm, well, clearly they're selling off this type of player for mm. this and, and make them an offer for maybe something similar. Because I do that I, sometimes. I haven't, no. That's probably one thing I should look at maybe doing some more of, but no, I haven't really in the past. Okay. You know me, yeah. I don't like to trade that much. Um, I mean, I do, it's just I don't really like dealing with people. <laughs> so. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of with you. At the same time, though, I do wonder if that's maybe something that us being in too many leagues and doing too many things. I mean, we're not just in leagues. We're making content. We're in other group chats. And, you know, I wonder if maybe that's a blind spot in our game that we can nip in the bud just with a quick, okay, I saw this guy made a trade in a league. I see he gave up uh, two players, two starters for two picks, right? Okay, let me go see if there's anything that makes sense on his team where I can maybe send him a I can send him a first or I can send him a second and get a starter. Because you would think if he made a trade like that where he trades two players that might have been in his lineup for a first and a second. Okay, maybe there's another player where he would he'd be more motivated to do that deal again. Uh, unless it's one of those teams that's like they have a stack team and they're just selling a couple players for picks just to kind of use the picks later for something. But a lot of times that's not the case. A lot of times it's this dude's blowing up his roster and it happens before you even can blink. And all these other teams in the league got great deals. And now I'm like, okay, I wish I would have gotten one of those deals. Cause now I'm, you know, I went from a top three team to now I'm, you know, maybe looking at not making the playoffs because two or three other people just rock really sweet deals while this guy blew off his roster. So I maybe it's something we can think about a little more going forward and just be, give it a 10 second glance when you see a trade. I don't know. Right. All right, and then one of the last things I wanted to ask you is what weekend one advice could you give to the listeners as far as setting lineups go? I know I'll, I'll just give mine first. Like we were talking about at pre-show, like don't get too crazy in your starting lineups as far as like one, one example that Scott gave me was, oh, uh, I'm going to start George Pickens over Christian Kirk. Don't do that. Like – there's no reason to do that. You, Christian Kirk is the number one wide receiver on Jacksonville. You know, it's I mean, it's a decent matchup. It's not like he's playing like Jalen Ramsey or something. But, you know, Christian Kirk is the number one receiver on the Jags. He's probably going to get 10-plus targets this, this first week, I'm guessing. I, you know, I'm starting Christian Kirk over a George Pickens, that you know, a rookie that's gotten a ton of hype. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of any other type of situations like that, but you know, the, as far as these rookies, like I'm not playing sky more week one. I'm not playing Traylon Burks anywhere week one. I'm going to see where these guys go and how they perform in their lineups, uh, week one before I make a decision on that. You know, I remember like AJ Brown, you know, his first year was against the, uh, it was against the Browns here. So I remember that game and he wasn't used very much. He had a decent game. I think he had one big play that gave him, but he ended up with like two for like 45 or 55 yards or something like that. But he wasn't used that much. He was only like a 30, 40% player, uh, snap wise. So, you know, these rookies are going to get eased in. They're not going to get like, most likely not going to get 90% of the snaps week one. It's probably just not going to happen. So I would just temper your expectations on your rookies. Don't make crazy decisions like starting a number one, benching a number one wide receiver like a Christian Kirk or a Robert Woods. You know, it might not be a sexy pass happy team, 
but starting like a number one type receiver like that and and benching him uh, to play like a rookie that's that's something I've learned from in my past that I don't want to do. What about you, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I think you you make a good point on that, but then people realize. Remember, like Marquise Brown in his first game had two touchdowns, and you were like, "Holy shit!" Everyone should have started him. Like reality, no, you probably shouldn't have started him. You know, like there's very few of those, but it's going to happen this year. And honestly, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that with rookie receivers, especially like the guys that are probably going to do it are going to be the ones that you don't necessarily see coming, but they're the ones where if I told you they played every single snap. Yeah. That, would that's be shocking. what I was getting at. Yeah. So if like play every single snap then. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a couple rookie receivers. Like I wouldn't be shocked if like Wandale Robinson has a big game or Jahan Dotson has a big game, but I think those guys, we already know like they might be the number one option or number two option on their team. Like those, you can justify starting, even if you don't know how good their teams are going to be, you could say, oh, okay, I'm fine starting them in a league. But when you're starting to throw in guys like Burks or Sky Moore or Garrett Wilson, like those three, I wouldn't be shocked if they're like the number five option on their team. If that, if they even are even used at all. So I think you can, you can kind of look at just, I don't even want to say look at rankings or look at projections but I think you can just kind of use your common sense and say, if I'm not sure this guy's even where he's going to fit in the pecking order, because some teams are much more open about, you know, like Washington has been completely dead set on Jahan Dotson's a starter. He's the number two. They haven't even dicked around with giving anybody else that title. You know what I mean? Like I'm confident playing him. What's limiting me playing him is like, I'm not sure how good his team is, but it's not like, I'm not sure he's going to play. You know what I mean? And then there's other ones that's the complete opposite. Even if I think they're going to have a good team like Sky Moore, I, there's no reason to throw him in an opening lineup. If he goes off, you know, he goes off. So I think I think that's a good point. And I think my my other piece of advice would be this is the week to do everything you can to play what you think is going to be the most projected touches. So if you have any sort of question marks about a guy's usage, especially running backs, like this is the week where you just start Rashad Penny, even in a tough matchup against a much better team. Uh, Damian Harris, even if you like Ramondre Stevenson better, or you think Ty Montgomery is going to be the third down back, or you think their offense is going to suck. Like this is the week to play Damian Harris. Cause there's probably going to be a good chance that, you know, he's the focal point of their offense, at least in week one. So I think things like that, like don't overthink, oh, I don't think this guy's that good. You know, I don't really trust, you know, how his usage is going to be. I think if there's any week to kind of jam in those uh, safe floor guys, it's probably this week versus in a couple weeks where once you start getting more information. So that'd be my advice. Like if you're breaking ties, I just, I don't see the reason to take a lot of risk unless it just warrants that, you know, you have no other better options. All right. And finally, I wanted to get into our last segment, Scott, where we're going to talk about um, the AFC and NFC predictions for this year. So I want to go through like each division, the wild cards, the championship game, Super Bowl game, um, and a couple of the awards as well. And we can go through that um, just like we did on the show with Ray, where we got some of the college predictions. So I just want to go through that. So what's first, let's go through the AFC. Um, I'll go ahead and give um, mine first here. So AFC East, all right, we can go, we can go division by division and trade back, but uh, AFC East, I think it's going to be Buffalo. Who do you think is going to win the division? 
Yeah, Buffalo. They're probably the, I would say, the easiest division winner to pick of all four. Okay. AFC North. I have Baltimore coming out in the AFC North. Uh, I'm going to go with the Bengals. Bengals. I think there's enough there's enough smoke with the Ravens where I'm just not 100% trusting uh, them. I mean, I know they're getting a big pass for last year. Uh, but, you know, we talked a little bit off air about the Lamar contract situation. I just wonder if that's that could be a major motivator for him, but it also could be something that, you know, kind of keeps them disjointed. I mean, the Bengals may regress a little bit from last year in their playoff run, mm-hmm. but, but honestly, like there's, I don't think there's really any questions about what they are. It's just how much better can they get than what they were last year. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm fairly confident that they're a, a 10 and seven at minimum team. Right. So it's really, if they're not 12 and five, then they might not win their division. Mm-hmm. But if they're 10 and seven, they have a really good shot of making the playoffs. So I'll just kind of bet that, you know, I think they're over under on wins is nine and a half. So, I mean, I'll just bet that they hit the over and they manage to win the division. So I'll, I'll go with the Bengals, just a slight tiebreaker over the Ravens. Okay. Yeah, I'm going with Baltimore just because, I mean, this division changes every year. It's like one year it's Pittsburgh, one year it's Baltimore, and then it flips back to Pittsburgh, and then, oh, Cincinnati comes out of nowhere, and then Pittsburgh again. So I think that's where I'm leaning towards on this one. I think it's just going to be a different one than it usually is. I think Baltimore was just absolutely decimated by injuries last year, so I'm kind of banking on maybe that doesn't happen again this year. Their defense stays a little bit more healthier. Um, and they have a little bit better record than maybe Cincinnati will. So that's kind of where I'm leaning on that one. Um, ASC South, I think Indy is going to be the ASC South winner. I think having Matt Ryan is going to be a huge benefit to them. It's going to be a little bit more of a stable quarterback. Their defense is really good as well. And I think the Titans are honestly going to regress a little bit. So that's kind of where I'm leaning is Indy. Yeah, I think they are the second easiest one to pick, but I'm not, I'm not as sold as other people. Um, I do think that they have, um, they have kind of the opposite narrative of some of these other teams that everyone think has, thinks has improved a lot when, you know, you're, everyone says their quarterback's going to be a lot better. I, I, I still have a hard time reconciling the fact that the data on Matt Ryan is not supportive of him being good. But I also have to buy into the narrative that what we know about Carson Wentz and what we know about Matt Ryan, like I do believe a lot of the the smoke that we hear, like it's night and day and compared to just the confidence of the team around him. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I buy into that part. But then what happens when you get on the field and it's like, OK, he's Matt Ryan still has to produce in a way that he hasn't produced in a couple years and he doesn't have the same level of weapons that he even had in Atlanta, you know, three or four years ago. So I, I think they have some holes, but I also buy into the fact that last year, the Colts honestly should have won that division, yeah. but they shit the bed. And it was a lot of it, I think was because of the the offense and they just couldn't really trust the offense in with Wentz, mm-hmm. you know, like they were the, they were, they passed at the least highest or the, the, the lowest rate in the league last year, which makes sense. Cause you have a running back like Taylor, but at the same time, like, shouldn't you want to have a good passing game around a guy like Taylor instead of like we just can't pass with him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if Ryan you, isn't good, more too. Yeah, e- e- even if Ryan isn't good, if he at least just kind of gives them the ability to mask that they can throw the ball, um, I'm a little more, 
I guess, okay, buying into that narrative. But I don't think Matt Ryan's that great. I think part of what they hype him up about is his leadership, his experience, all of that stuff, which I, I 100% buy into that. But I think there's going to be four or five games this year where you're like, wow, this guy should retire. Really? Okay. See, I'm kind of the op- opposite in a way where I could definitely see that narrative coming true where they're like a 10-7 and 7 division champion. But I also see – I can also see a scenario in my head where they're like the thing in the NFL and they're like 14 and three. They're like, you know, one of the best teams in the league. Like their defense is just humming. One of the best defenses in the league. Taylor is like an 1800 yard back again. Matt Ryan has the offensive passing game, like clicking and he's like making Ashton Doolin and Alec Pierce, like a thing. Like I can just see that happening too, where that like everything just clicks for them and everything goes right, and they're like the one seed or something. Like I can see a possibility of that too. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why what you just said makes them the yeah, definitely the the pick to win the division because it you, they're going to probably be able to win the division at nine and eight or ten and seven. Mm-hmm. So if you if you think that's their floor that they're going to be at least five hundred, then they're they're by default the pick to win the division. Because I'm I'm not sure. I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Jacksonville finishes ahead of Tennessee. Yeah, like I I think me and you have talked about it on previous shows. Like if Tennessee is out of it, like they could just be like Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. We're just releasing them at the end of the year. We don't owe them any money after that and just moving on. And then like, maybe they just go to Malik early on or something like that. Like I could definitely see Tennessee as being that one team. They went from the one seed to being like a five or six win team next year. I could definitely see that Mm -hmm. for sure. I think it probably happens a little slower, but definitely going into 2023, uh, it can be like kind of a make or break year for the Titans, even if they choose to keep Henry and, you know, go with Tannehill for one more year. I think it, it we could start seeing the decline now to where it's like it's definitely going to be a changing of the guard after 2023, 100%. Right. All right. Next one, AFC West. So this one is a, is a fun one. Like you have legit all four teams could be the division winner here. But I went with the Chargers personally. I think their defense is really good. They're bound to like have a year where they're not like decimated by injuries too. So I'm thinking hopefully this is the year they're Herbert's third year. He should be Herbert should even take a bit another step this year and be even better if that's even possible. So that's kind of where I'm leaning with the chargers here. I think, I think they're going to be like the two seed this year. Yeah. I, I think I would lean towards the Chargers, but I, I think it's probably more on the uh, the idea that they may be able to kind of get off to uh, – they're going to be able to get off to a start that maybe the other couple teams in the division are going to have to find themselves first. And these – I mean, this division, they play the NFC West too. So, like, there's going to be a lot of tough games in that division to where like, I wouldn't be shocked if there's nobody in the AFC West that loses less than six games, but yet all of them are good enough to be in the wild card mix until the very end. Right. But all the teams you're going to, you're like, wow, if the Broncos get in as the seven seed, you, you don't want to see them. If you know, you're the two seed and it's the Colts, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I'd almost pick the the Broncos maybe to go into Indy and win the game, even if the Colts have two more wins than them during the regular season. Like I can definitely see that narrative playing out. Right. Yeah. But I'm going with the Chargers based strictly on, I think they have the best defense in the division. Uh, Yeah. I'll go with that. So that's kind of where I've went 
Uh, so you're picking the Chargers as well, then? Uh, if I had to pick right now, I'd pick the Chargers to uh, to win the division. Yep. All right. So we got everybody the same besides for AFC North so far. All right. AFC wild card. I am going to go with Kansas City, Cincinnati, and Denver. I think those are going to be my three wild card teams. Um, Kansas City still going to be a really good offense. Still really like them. Um, I just think the Chargers are going to be able to beat them twice probably um, with their defense or at least split. Cincinnati's still going to be a really good team. They're going to be uh, a 10-11 win team. I think Baltimore just maybe edges them out a little bit. So I could see Cincinnati making it as the one of the wild cards. And then I was really struggling between Denver and the Raiders, and I just went back to, man, who's got the better defense? And Denver's got some really good secondary players. Um, so that's kind of where I went. I went with Denver over the Raiders. Yeah, I, I will definitely go with the chiefs. I think even if the chiefs don't win the division, I mean, they have basically made it to the, the second level of the playoffs every year Mahomes has started. So to just think they lost, you know, just Tyreek Hill and just Tyron Matthew, like that, they're not going to even get back to the playoffs. I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I, I think you're with me. Like, you trust Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes to make the playoffs, right. regardless of how good the rest of the division is. Yep. The the wild cards, I think, are tougher to me because I think that there's a potential that everyone is putting – it's not just you. Everyone is putting three teams from the West yeah. in the playoffs. And it's going to suck, but I wouldn't be shocked if there is a 10-7 uh, a, a and seven team in the West that – gets left out because of, you know, like the conference tiebreaker or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they lost too many games in the AFC and it's like, well, they were, you know, two and four in their own division yet. They were 10 and seven. Uh, I, I'll go to Baltimore as another wild card team. So give me chiefs and Baltimore. I'm okay. I'm torn because I, if I had to pick, if you told me I have to pick right now, the next minute, I would probably lean Denver just cause I think Russ is good enough to uh, kind of take them at least into that range. But I can also, I could also put, make a, uh, a stance for the Raiders. Um, I think Miami given just their division, if you don't think new England's going to be any good, mm-hmm. I think by default, Miami could win at least four games in their own division. Yeah. And then you're like, damn, they're 10 and seven. And you'd much rather see, you know, Russ Wilson in the playoffs than Tua. But mm-hmm. I, I think I'll put, I think I, I will, I will go with Miami as the last wild really? card over one of the NFC or AFC West teams. Yeah, I could see that. They have a really good defense too. And it's funny, like you just mentioned them briefly, but we're putting New England out of the playoffs too. And those teams, you know, New England makes the playoffs every single year. I, Honestly, I don't even know if New England would be in my top four to miss the playoffs. Yeah, and that's legit. I, I agree with that. Like, it's possibility. So and like it's, they're in the same range as like I've almost given the the Jaguars and the Browns and the Steelers just as much of a chance to make the playoffs as the Patriots. Just because I think if you're arguing against the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Or if you're arguing for the Patriots, why wouldn't you argue for the Steelers? Like the Steelers, I think are, don't get me wrong. The Steelers have a shitty offensive line and they're going to be transitioning quarterbacks during the year. So those two things you could, you could sell me on just eliminating them from that. But what if, 
somehow they don't start this. I mean, if you look at the Steelers schedule, like they could start zero and three, zero and four. Right. You know, and then it's like, okay, now they just go to Pickett. Maybe they finish, you know, seven and ten or eight and nine, and then next year they're a team that we're putting in the playoff mix, kind of like Miami last year. But what if the Steelers start out like, you know, two and two? And then they get Pickett back and their offensive line is just kind of like the Bengals next year where, or like the Bengals last year, where they just survive, you know what I mean? And steal a couple games and then Pickett just becomes, you know, basically like what Mac Jones is, but hell, I would take this. I would take the weapons on the Steelers and for sure the defense on the Steelers over the Patriots. Mm-hmm. So like I almost have a hard time putting the Patriots over the Steelers because I think you can make the same organizational arguments for both, but I liked what the Steelers have more. Right, right. Um, and then what would you have for your AFC championship game? I have it as uh, the Chargers versus Buffalo. Yeah, man. <laughs> this is tough. I would say that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go against Buffalo, just okay. because I think that I'm just gonna fade the fact that everyone's picking them to win it. Okay. If we have the Chargers winning their division, I I could sell myself on the Chargers being in the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, but man, I'm just thinking. I mean, if we just set up a bracket with just the AFC playoffs, I'm like, damn. If you can come through that then yeah you should be the favorites for sure well it's almost like it it might be harder to get through the afc than to win the super bowl which sounds horrible but it's like Mm -hmm. you might get to the super bowl and be like damn we've already faced two teams better or just as good and it's not the super bowl but yeah I guess I'll go with the Chargers, but there's there's probably any of the teams I mentioned in the playoffs. I don't think the Colts can win the championship with Matt Ryan. I think there's just too many better quarterbacks and better offenses out mm-hmm. there that are just too explosive and have too good of quarterbacks for Matt Ryan to win a Super Bowl. But it would not be shocking if Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, Wilson, Burrow were in the Super Bowl. Right. And, or Lamar. You know, and yeah, there's some of those teams like we don't even have, like I didn't even have Denver in the playoffs, but I wouldn't be shocking if they're in the Super Bowl. So I just, right. I just don't see, I don't see the Dolphins or the Colts getting to the Super Bowl, but everyone, everyone else, like you could, I could look up and be like, yep, they made a run because their offenses could be that good. So who would you have the Chargers face and then Buffalo or somebody else? Uh, I mean, Buffalo would probably, I mean, I think Buffalo is the overwhelming favorite to get the one seed because mm-hmm. I think the the AFC North and the AFC West are too difficult for any of those teams to win like 13 games. Right. So I would say the Buffalo is going to have the home field advantage, which makes it, it makes it hard for me to justify picking a, a West coast chargers team that has never been to the playoffs with Justin Herbert going and beating. I mean, they would have to probably beat like if they're not the one seed, they would have to play like, you know, the Ravens in the first round, and then they would have to beat like the Bengals in the second round. And then they would have to go to Buffalo and win an AFC title game. You know, mm-hmm. I just, it's hard for me to pick the chargers to go from like basically zero to the Super Bowl. So I guess I would go with the bills. Okay. So we have the same AFC championship game. So that's interesting. All right. NFC East, I think will probably be the same here. I'm going with the Eagles. I just think, 
Dallas has too many injuries, not enough firepower on offense. That offensive line is very worrisome. The Giants and Commanders are definitely not it. So I think the Eagles are pretty much a lock for this division. Agree. I don't think we have to debate on this one any further. Easy Eagles. Uh, NFC North, I went with Green Bay. I still think they're going to be, you know, a 13 and 14, 14 and 3 team. I think they're still going to be really good. So I'm going with the Packers. Oh, man. Yeah, I. This one's probably closer for me than you because I actually think that the Vikings and even the Lions can be a little more pesky than what people are projecting if you just look at like over under totals. Mm. Um, but I would lean with the Packers have a really good defense. Uh, they're essentially, if you just said they have this defense with Aaron Rodgers, I kind of think that he'll be able to figure out how to win with mm-hmm. the defense. So yeah, I think I'll go with the Packers just by default. Okay. Um, NFC South, I went with Tampa Bay and I think this one's a lot closer than people are making out to be. You know, one thing about the saints is they have won every regular season matchup against Tampa Bay that Tom Brady has been there. They've only lost the one time. And that was drew Brees' final game in the playoffs in new Orleans. That's the only time uh, the bucks have beat the saints. So the saints kind of have the bucks number and and a couple of these games, it hasn't even been close. The saints have blown them out like 41 to like nine kind of numbers. I remember the one Sunday night game where they absolutely waxed them. I think it was two years ago. Um, so the, the saints have the bucks number, so it's a little closer for me, but it's still hard to like not go with Tom Brady. So I'm going to go with Tom Brady again. Yeah. I think the, I think the bucks are just like, they're hard to knock out of the playoffs entirely. And the division isn't good enough. I actually think this, this might be a little surprising. I actually think the Panthers and the saints will be uh, tougher than what people are expecting. Like I wouldn't be shocked if either of those teams is in the wild card mix. Okay. So I'm not, I don't know if I pick them in the wild card, but yeah, I think this is kind of like the NFC East. You just probably go with Tampa and they're, they're a huge favorite to win the division. So you just go there. Okay. And then the NFC West, and this is another one where pretty much a three-team race. Any of those three can be the uh, division winner. But this one, I, I went with the 49ers, and I think it's just their defense is really, really good. Um, I think, you know, Trey Lance, I think, is going to be just fine. Like, it might not be, like, super pretty, but is Lamar Jackson that pretty, you know, on his offense sometimes? So I think Lamar or uh, Trey Lance can do – just enough to to get them the division win. So I'm going to go with the 49ers. Yep, we're in lockstep. I'm going – I think San Fran is a uh, – actually, this one's easier for me than I really thought. I think I think the Rams are – they've really pushed uh, the kind of s- stars and scrubs approach to the point where I think that there's serious concerns about – I mean, it's not like I'm some guru when it comes to – this type of analysis, but I've heard quite a few people talk about there are still concerns with their offensive line uh, and their defense is good, but it also just relies on, I mean, they haven't had uh, any, you know, they're basically like an Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey injury away from like their whole defense changing. Mm -hmm. Like if they lose one of those two guys in a given week, it's almost like they have to totally change their defense. So I think that they're just kind of too volatile to bet on them just repeating in the division. I think they're still going to make the playoffs, but right, I'll go with San Fran. San Fran, oh. I'm with you. 
All right, so we have the same exact NFC um, division winners. Wild cards, I went with the Rams, the Saints, and the Cardinals. I think those are going to be my three um, wild card teams. Rams, obviously, still going to be a really good offense. I think their defense can at least do enough to get them there. So I think the Rams will still be in it. Saints, I think, are really good. That, that's another team with a pretty solid defense. Um, I think their offense is really explosive, too. I mean, Jameis was pretty efficient last year. You still have Kamara. You got, you know, Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas back, Chris Olave, you know, pretty explosive offense there. So I think they'll be um, another good bet to make the playoffs. And then Cardinals was one of the ones I was struggling with, but I'm just thinking, man, Kyler with Hollywood Brown, you know, Zach Ertz, hopefully plays their defense is definitely a little shaky so i could that's why i was kind of debating them about not putting them in but man when hopkins comes back i think this offense should be pretty good again kyler should do enough to get them there so I'm, i went ram saints cardinals ram saints cardinals okay i will go with i don't think three teams come out of the nfc west for the same reason that i'm i was picking against the broncos as the last seed in the, in the AFC West, I think having to play the other division plus their inner division games is going to be enough to push them out of the wild card. I, I agree with either the saints or the Panthers. I guess I'll go with the saints. You know what? No, I'll go with the Panthers. I'm going to go with the Panthers to get in the playoffs over the saints as a surprising wild card team. Interesting. Okay. So Panthers, um, I'll go by default. I'll go with the Rams just cause they're the defending champs. Okay. Uh, and then the third wild card, I think it comes down to, uh, I I do think Dallas will still be somewhat in the mix, like eight and nine, nine and eight. And I do think a, a nine and eight team can make the playoffs in the NFC. I think there's enough parity to where there's not going to be like, you know, 10 and seven or 11 and six fighting for the wild card. I mm-hmm. think Dallas will be in it. I think Minnesota has a shot too. Okay. Like I think Minnesota has a shot to get in there. And then the last one would be between the, uh, so basically, it's Cardinals, Saints, Minnesota, Dallas. Yeah, I'll lean. I, I'll lean with. I'll go with the Saints. How about that? We'll go two okay. teams from the NFC South. Okay, along with Tampa Bay, because I think the the East is. I don't think Dallas has enough, and I think the West is going to beat each other up. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if the third place team in the West is a team we think is really good but somehow they lose three games to the AFC West and they lose at least three games in their own division. Mm. So like the Cardinals, they go three and three in their division and then they lose three of the four games against the AFC West. And you're like, that's six losses right there. Like they almost have to run the table everywhere else. They can't lose more than one or two games against teams. They should beat. Otherwise they're out of the playoffs. So yeah, I'll go with just, uh, I'll go two in the NFC South, which I think most people would be like, that's crazy. No, I mean, it's definitely different. I could definitely see it, too, with, with Carolina. Like, their defense is pretty solid, too. So, if they get things together. Like, I wanted, like, to put Dallas in there, but I'm like, man, that offensive line is super shaky. I could just see, like, I could see things going not good for them next year. And, like, like McCarthy is just not a good coach, in my opinion. So, they could just be able to fire him and with, with justification and move on and grab Sean Payton or whoever. So, well, they're in their weapons aren't that great. This yeah. isn't a their defense sucks, but they have, I mean, honestly, I would take the Saints' weapons easily over Dallas. Yeah, 100%. 
And I think both could have a good defense. Both have a defense that could be a little overrated. But I'd I'd probably take the Saints defense over Dallas, right? Yep. I'd probably take the Panthers weapons over the Cowboys. So just going down the line, the only thing that the Cowboys have that those teams don't is that they probably have a little bit of a, they have maybe a more of a uh, chance to beat up on the commanders and on the the giants and maybe a slightly easier schedule, but that's it. Like I, I don't see how you can line up Tampa, Carolina and Dallas and say, I definitely want Dallas of the three. I don't think so. Mm Mm-hmm. And then what would be your NFC championship game? I have mine as the 49ers and the Packers again. 49ers and Packers. Hmm. Well, that wasn't the NFC championship game last year, but it was a playoff game from last year. Yeah, it was Rams. Rams 49ers. 49ers. I think definitely 49ers are in the the NFC championship. Uh, just because I think they, even if Lance doesn't work out, they have a team that can get there literally by like, streaming their quarterbacks if that makes sense like i hope that doesn't happen i hope lance is the guy but it wouldn't shock me if like they still get to the super bowl or they still get to the nfc championship and they still really aren't sure if their quarterback's that great Mm -hmm. um so i think i'll go with them i i will go with i'll go with the eagles i'll go eagles niners in the nfc championship and it'd be a Okay. A very interesting. How interesting would a Jalen Hurts versus Trey Lance NFC Championship game be? That, yeah, that would definitely be interesting for sure. And to, then it, uh, knowing you would get a totally different, probably type of quarterback in the Super Bowl against you know any of the AFC teams, you know, because it's going to be you know Herbert, Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Russ Wilson. Like you're going to probably get a totally different type of game. If yeah, the only it. one would be Lamar if it changed. Yeah, if Lamar gets there. But it, that, yeah, I'll go with uh, 49ers Eagles in the NFC Championship. Okay. And then what would be your Super Bowl game and, and the Super Bowl champion? Hmm. I have it as Packers versus Bills with the Bills coming out on top. Hmm. Let's see. Can we get a Bills Eagles Super Bowl? Bills versus Eagles Super Bowl. Okay. Two teams that are, I don't want to say they're kind of built the same, but yeah, I'll go Eagles-Bills. Okay. And I guess I'll go with Bills winning, but it wouldn't shock me if Eagles won. Okay. All right. So we both have uh, Buffalo winning it all. So that's interesting. And then NFL MVP. So I went with Josh Allen. Uh, NFL MVP. I think I think he's just due. He's due for that MVP. Everyone else has kind of gotten one. He hasn't gotten one yet, so I think it's Josh Allen's time. So let me ask you this, because I I was gonna say Herbert, but I also think that they will obviously prioritize the quarterbacks that go far in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If Aaron Rodgers got this team to the Super Bowl and he had another year of 31 touchdowns, three interceptions, and 4,000 yards, and this team got to the Super Bowl, do you think they would give him another MVP even with over guys that had better stats, like counting stats? I think it's possible, but I think I would lean towards 
Josh Allen and his gaudy numbers or Justin Herbert and his gaudy numbers over Rodgers in that point, just because uh, Aaron has whatever three MVPs or four MVPs or whatever it is already. I think they would give it to the, one of the newer guys that had a, a ton of numbers. Like I think Josh Allen or Herbert are like 40 touchdowns each, you know? Okay. So you think that even though, cause I, cause you could see a word. I mean, I think if Aaron Rodgers makes the super bowl this year with that team, Oh, you yeah. could probably you could argue that's maybe one of his best years ever if he puts up the same type of numbers because that's basically saying like you can roll just roll out the ball and he's right. gonna put up a top five season. I just think it's he's not gonna put up like the forty touchdown season. I think like I agree with you. It's probably more like thirty three touchdowns. So his efficiency might be off the charts, but the gaudy numbers from other guys are gonna kind of overcrowd him a little right. bit. Yeah, like I think they're their defense is going to win them some games where it's, you know, it's not going to be these like 35, 34 shootouts. It's going to be more like 24, 21, 21, 17, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. I can get on board with that. It's just interesting to see that you have Rogers in the super bowl. And I'm like, well, if he makes the super bowl, right. I agree with you. I just think, I just think Josh Allen's going to have some gaudy numbers and he hasn't won an MVP yet to where they're going to be like, all right, well, if he's the number one seed, they're going to give it to him. So it's almost like he's paid his dues and this is his, this is his year to win the, it might even be too early for like Herbert to win the MVP unless he's just clearly better than Allen and Mahomes. Yeah. I mean, if, if Herbert puts up another 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns, he's definitely in the running for sure. Yeah. But and it I, does feel like this is, this is Allen's year to, win the MVP if he puts up the numbers and his team's the number one seed. Like by default, he'll just be in position to get it. I agree mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So is that is that your choice, Josh Allen? <sighs> I mean, I can make the same argument though that if Jalen Hurts makes the Super Bowl and wins like I projected, that's gonna be hard to not not say he wouldn't be in the mix, especially if he has like a Lamar type year. I agree. Like he, he has 900 yards and eight touchdowns rushing and then throws for another like, you know, 28 touchdowns, like, and they win the conference and they go to the Super Bowl. Like, it's going to be hard to say, you know, that that's not a season that is equivalent to any of the other passers on the other side. So, right. yeah, just because I have them in the Super Bowl, I'm going to go the opposite of what you did. I mean, you had Rodgers in the Super Bowl. If I have the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, I think there's a really good shot that you know, that Hurts will win the MVP. Well, you had the Bills winning, you said, right? Oh, did, did I say the Bills? The, the Bills would win? Uh, I thought you I thought I said maybe the Eagles will win. Anyway, I, I'll go with Hurts just to be different. Okay. Other than that, I mean... You it, want me to change it to Eagles winning the Super Bowl? Sure, go with it. All right. All right, I'll change it then. All right, and then Defensive Player of the Year. I went, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, Miles Garrett, like... I love Miles Garrett. He's one of the best players in the league. I just, I don't think he's going to do it. TJ Watts already had a couple. Yeah, he's going to, but I just don't see like them giving it to like two teams that are probably not going to make the playoffs. So I'm going to go with Nick Bosa. I think Nick Bosa is going to come back and be, you know, another like, 18 sack guy he's going to lead that 49ers defense and i think that's going to be a big reason why they're the division champs like with that defense um i don't know if you've seen nick bosa he's like a fucking he's like the incredible hulk out there so i think uh nick bosa yeah we didn't talk about that that was going to be my pick too 
that if that if they go as far as we think, that was going to be my pick. Because I agree, it's going to be on a guy that is going to be seen as the linchpin of the defense. You know, yeah. it's it's going to be somebody that uh, isn't just putting up numbers. They have to put up numbers, but it's also going to be like somebody where you're like, without this player, this defense isn't what it is. So yeah, I was going to go with him. I do think there's a couple other like defensive ends that you could put in the same mix. Like I think you can put Garrett and Watt in the same mix. I think if you had to put money on it, I probably would still go with Aaron Donald because he will definitely finish in the top three or four just by default. If he plays. Yep. Cause people will be like, Oh, without him, he's like the biggest game changer in the league. Cause he plays a position that nobody else has a similar player. Like their right. defense can do different things than what any other defense can do because he's basically a, He's basically a defensive end that lines up over guards and centers and gets the same level of pressure. Mm. And very few teams can actually like our very, very few teams build their offensive line to combat that. You know what I mean? So if I had to put money, I'd probably put him just because like he's just he's literally won the NFL MVP or won the defensive player of the year like four times. And he's always in the top two or three. Right. The other ones I was kind of giving some consideration to was uh, actually teammates, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Like if the Chargers are like the two seed, like we think, you know, I think it's those two are going to be a big reason. The only reason I didn't give it to them is because they both are fucking always hurt. Yeah. I mean, and you could, you know, you could probably say the same thing about Nick Bosa. too. Well, I mean, Bosa injury, only got, but... yeah, he only had, this is his first injury. In pros, I mean, obviously his final year at Ohio State, he shut it down too. But um, I, I just think he's going to be a a freak off the edge again, like he has been. So that's kind of where I leaned. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm good okay. with that. All right, and then the last two offensive rookie of the year. I went with George Pickens. I think that's. I think he's going to play enough. You know pretty much be an 80% snap share guy every single week to where he can get out there and do it. So I'm going to go with George Pickens. Wow. Offensive rookie of the year, George Pickens. I just don't see one of the quarterbacks making it. And the running backs, I like, you know, Brees Hall might be splitting all year and might not have great a great season with the Jets. Damian Pierce, like I could definitely see Damian Pierce as being a front runner now if he's going to be um, the starter and all that. But I just think I think George Pickens is going to make some wild plays. He's going to probably be you know eight hundred to nine hundred yards. He's going to have some highlight touchdowns. So I could definitely see George Pickens doing it. Yeah, that's. That's a little tougher for me just because of what we kind of, we talked about earlier with just the the number of weapons on the Steelers. But I, I do think the Steelers are going to be, once they start figuring things out, like the second half of the year, I could see Pickens exploding. I, I'm going to go, this is tough because there's a couple receivers that I like, but they're just not probably in the position to be able to get the playing time early on uh, to win. I mean, I could see Drake London winning rookie of the year, just simply based on stats. You know, he, he puts up a thousand yards and 80 catches as a rookie. It's just, I'm not sure if his team necessarily is going to like, is he going to be one of those guys that has a big year, but then, you know, is he going to have like an Amon Ross St. Brown type rookie year? Right. Maybe a little better, but he's just on a shitty team. So they're not going to really give him any credit. Uh, And I agree with you. The quarterbacks aren't going to be in, in the mix. Yeah. Now the more that I look at it, I mean, I think Damian Pierce is the obvious one to be the front runner right now. 
Yeah, but he's. I mean, I, are is a running back going to get the award on a an average or below average team? I don't know. I mean, I mean the Steelers are going to be an average or below average team. So. Yeah, but I I tend to think they would that you have receivers that will be a better shot of doing that. Just how the position is viewed. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. Yeah, I would put if I had to put my order right now, I would say if it's non-quarterback, I would put Jahan Dotson, George Pickens, and Damian Pierce probably as the top three. And I guess you could throw Brees Hall in there just if he, you know, mm-hmm. comes back in the second half and kind of has like a Jonathan Taylor second half. Because you look at Jonathan Taylor's second half, I mean, he smashed. Right. It just took him, you know, six weeks to even like earn the starting job. So yeah, I would I would say those three are the I'll go with Dotson. I think he can literally yeah. have the same type yeah. of years Pickens and it's just it. Their teams are going to hold him down. But okay. I guess normally if you're debating a rookie, then it's probably because the team isn't that great. If a rookie is their best player, you know? Okay. So yeah, I'll go with Dotson. All right. And then last one um, is going to be the defensive rookie of the year. I went with Aiden Hutchinson. I think he's going to, he's going to be uh, a top sack guy and get things done. I mean, he's already looks like he's a, a beast out there. So that's where I'm going. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't really give too much thought to other guys. I think Aiden Hutchinson came right to my mind and I was like, yeah, I think, I think he's going to do it. Like I wouldn't be shocked if Trayvon Walker won it too. Like he's, I think I thought he's looked pretty good and he's going to play enough snaps. You think Jordan Davis has a shot to do it? I don't think so. He, I think you'd have to have a bunch Sauce of Sauce Gardner got a shot to win it? Yeah, I think Sauce. Come, comes up with five or six picks, and it's like he kind of has a Trayvon Diggs year, and they just I, give it to him because he's flashy. Yep, I could see Stingley, too. If Stingley's out there every snap, I could see Stingley. Hmm. I could definitely see that, too. So you're just banking that Hutchinson has, like, 10 sacks or something and they just give it to him because he's the best rookie. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see like a 10 sack season, rookie season from him. I think you think Daxton like, Hill's got a shot? If Jesse Bates didn't sign, sure. Yeah, I, I was just throwing that out there. No. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I'll go with either I mean you almost have to go with one of the corners or defensive ends that's gonna play because mm-hmm. those are the two positions that are gonna get. I just don't think teams are gonna challenge Sauce Gardner that much to where he he's not gonna put up the stats. Okay. Stingley, I could see maybe they they challenge him a little bit, but um, no, nah, I, th- I think Hutchinson gets gets double digit sacks, and I think he gets it. All right, roll with it. I don't really have any better. I, I could. I'm just trying to go to different players than you, but yeah, I mean, I All guess right. if you had to put your money, and I I don't know what the Vegas odds say on the favorite, but I'm guessing he's probably the favorite. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing so too. I didn't even really look at any of those. I just kind of made these up on the fly here. But yeah, I think that's pretty good. We both are uh, NFC Championship game. We have 49ers Packers, and you have 49ers Eagles. And AFC, I have Chargers Buffalo, and you have Chargers Buffalo. Um, and we both have you have Bills Eagles. I have Packers Bills, and I have the Bills winning, and you changed yours to the Eagles winning. So yep. pretty good. Yep. Interesting. I'll I'll uh I'll bring this up again at the end of the year with our college ones too with uh, Ray. Maybe we'll bring Ray back on around that time and go over what we predicted just to kind of see how it goes. Something fun to kind of check as we go on and see how uh, much of a cluster it actually was. Yeah. See how much we actually got wrong. But um yeah. So final uh thing uh America's favorite game man. What's your favorite? So this week. I'm going to go with what's your favorite 
Um, non-Marvel superhero. Non-Marvel superhero. Hmm. I got to think about that. I think I would go with... Mine's easy, so I can go if you want me to go. Yeah, go with go with yours. My mine's Batman easy. I'm I've always been a Batman guy, so love all the Batman movies, love the shows. Um definitely have just been in the Batman my whole life and the whole the whole story behind him and I mean he's not really technically um a superhero, like he doesn't have a superhero power or anything like that. He's just you know, he's just Batman, just a regular dude who knows fucking I don't know how to say karate, but he knows how to kick your ass. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Batman. Yeah, that's tough for me. Honestly, I would probably lean towards, I mean, this goes way back to like my childhood, but I always, I don't know. I always, I mean, I, from Batman standpoint, I always kind of liked the, uh, the, the villains more in Batman than actual Batman himself. I mean, all the Batman movies, mm-hmm. I always was like, part of me was rooting for like you know the riddler mr freeze or catwoman you know what i mean because they they all have like kind of an element of like they're not a villain Mm -hmm. but you know inside yeah that's tough for me because when you say non-marvel i'm like i can think of like five marvel superheroes that i love that are really kind of like under the radar honestly if i even included marvel i'd probably still go batman as like my favorite just superhero generally so if you want to do it that way too, that's fine. If you want to include all the Marvel. Well, if you included Marvel, I would say it's it's, it's between uh, Ant-Man and the Punisher. Really? I, you're not going Captain America? I thought you were a Captain America guy. I, I, I like Captain America. I more like just like the logo and the graphics of Captain America versus okay. the actual superhero himself. I mean, Ant-Man, I don't know why I'm like the biggest Ant-Man fan that there is. But I also like the Punisher. Yeah, Paul, Paul Rudd does a great job as, as Ant-Man. I, I, I like Ant-Man too, for sure. Yeah, I'd go with those two. If you make okay. me pick more, if you can, if you leave it open to picking more. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Cool. All right, man. Well, that is it. You're in, uh, you're in Vegas this week for the FFPC live drafts um, that are starting tomorrow. So good luck on those, uh, you and your partner Jay Reed. Uh, hopefully, you guys can uh, get some some really good teams out there, man. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's uh, there's just a lot of work to still be done with uh teams this week just setting lineups drafting teams trying to create content it's like a super busy week but this is the reality of the season and um you know i'm i'm glad that it's finally here so i'm glad we're i'm glad we started this podcast and i'm glad we're to the point now where it's like starting to set lineups we're starting to be able to see some rewards for all the time and effort and money we've spent over the last you know eight nine months preparing for now and it's finally here so i'm looking forward to it yep Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm excited for it. So, all right, guys. Well, that is it for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed. We'll be back next week. Make sure you guys um, sign up for that newsletter um, that we have allgas.beehive.com slash subscribe. Uh, Beehive is spelled B E E H I I V. So make sure you guys sign up for that newsletter. You get uh, stuff in your inbox every Friday morning. Uh, right when the wake up show starts. So make sure you guys sign up for that. Get that great content in your email every single week. Um, I am at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter and you can catch the uh, podcast Twitter as well at America's game pod. Scott sign us off, man. 
Yep, you can find me at Charles Chill FFB, uh, hashtag Dynasty Leverage. You can find all my other content linked there uh, in the Twitter bio. And to everybody that's been with us for the first now nine episodes, I uh, appreciate you tuning in. Uh, this is pretty much what you're going to get uh, throughout the season. Just Eric and I talking about literally what we're doing, the approaches we're taking, what's working, what's not working, uh, how we can learn from it. Because uh, we're now to the point where it, we're starting to dial into the small moves, the micro moves of an NFL season. It's going to be less about macro strategy and more about in the now. Uh, and then we have to transition away from that as we get to the off season, but also not forget what it was like during the year. We can talk theory and high level strategy all year, but then when you get to actually having games being played every week, there's a new set of data that comes out every week. You have to be able to adjust. So stick with us. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate everybody that tunes into the Destination Devi feed. Uh, and with that, we'll sign off until next week.